What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? We are back and raring with a fresh pod here as we run into December. A little bit of a different pod here um, for our listeners. We're going to bring in two co-hosts slash special guests um, slash value, valued listeners who won our telethon to get on the pod. Um, quick uh, welcome here to Andrew Lockman and Nicholas Tallguy Harmon. Um, welcome to the pod, guys. Thank you, Ridge. Happy to be here. Cheers, Ridge. Thank you, Andrew. Excited to be here. Thanks, too. Nick. It's it's an honor, really. Night. It's an honor. Yes. Um, obviously, they've been queuing up for weeks. I've been getting the amount of text I'm getting from these two, being like, "When can I get on? When can I get on? When can I get on?" So it's nice just to sort of get them off my back here. Um, so uh, first of all, like obviously, you guys are you know you guys have listened to the pod before for some for some context and background. Um, Chris and I. I mean, most people who listen to this know us, so there you go. Um, Andrew and Andrew and Harmon are uh, two of our best friends, uh, big Premier League fans, um, and are in our fantasy Premier League that we talk about often on the pod, as well as in our Predictor League. Um, some doing better than most. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but quickly, Andrew Harmon, for our listeners, um, you know, let's let's start with your favorite Premier League team, and then player. Um, player can be past or present, um, and then uh, yeah. So Andrew, we'll start with you. Sure. Um... Yeah, so I think like most of us in our uh, friend circle, um, my favorite Premier League team is Aston Villa with definitely a big soft spot and a close second with Crystal Palace. Um, and that leads to me into my favorite player probably being Wilfred Zaha, who I've been following since he was in the championship. So, you know, long time. Just too good for you. How about Nick? Yeah, echo Andrew's thoughts on Villa and Palace. I would say my favorite team is definitely Aston Villa. Fun tidbit about me. My daughter's name is Lena, which the meaning can be derived from lion. So roar like lions, lions, baby. <laughs> my favorite player has actually played dedication. for both. Yeah, absolutely. Dedication to the club. And my favorite player has actually played for both clubs, Yannick Velassi. Um, I'm sure if you know me, you know, I've got a love affair for Yannick and a, a signed kit in the closet. Um, just absolutely a demon on the pitch and a savage on Twitter, too. Absolutely. Yeah, we, as well. I think I speak for all of us when we I say we wish Yannick all the best and I know he's a long-time listener. Absolutely. Hope to have him yeah. on the pod very soon. Yeah. Yeah, I think I like to think that him and him and Josie Mourinho are in a group text about listening to the pod. Um, we'll get to, I think, good answers there, especially um, – uh, Nick, I think there's like a one-to-one ratio of like named ch- ch- named children to podcast appearances. So for every child, you know, obviously like in in the future, you know, future kids, you name them after villas, villain villain players, uh, villains. Um, you can get you more podcast appearances. Um, how about best Premier League memory or story, past or present? I guess anything would be past. So, um. I'm going to go away from the Premier League memory, but I will go from a memory of visiting England. Um, and this is a time with Nick and yourself. It was uh, also your dad, of course, was there, the, the main ringleader. And we it was the day we landed. We went to, I believe we landed in London, and we drove straight to Northampton to watch the Cobblers in League Two. And uh, they ended up winning uh, in extra time and there was a pitch invasion and one of the pitch invaders was uh in a motorized wheelchair and went from one end all the way to the other and delayed basically the restarting of the match for several minutes um so that was probably my favorite favorite story of seeing a professional match in england 
we've we've got to get thanks to Andrew. We've got to get the the like the YouTube clip of that out on Twitter. I think that's got. I think I'm like ninety percent sure in like a drunken haze at like three three in the morning. My dad's found that video on YouTube, so we got to get that out on Twitter. Uh, Nick, how about you? Andrew stole my thunder a little bit. I was going to go the same route, but yeah, there is one hundred percent a YouTube video for that, and I watch it probably at least once or twice a year when I explain that story to people about my trip over, but. Um, I'll take a little bit different route. My best Premier League memory was my first and only Villa game I went to. It was a actually pretty nice day, no rain. Villa played Stoke at Villa Park, and we were sitting in the Ridgeway season ticket ticket holding holder seats. And uh, I think Andy Ridgeway will be the first to tell you that one of his first religious experiences was walking up the stairs to Villa Park and just basking in all of its glory. I know a lot of people. Um, probably don't know, but there's been a lot of cups and, and very big matches out there. So you walk out and you just see how massive it is, and it just doesn't do it justice. So we don't. Want, I don't really want to talk about the result. It was very much the the mastermind tactics of Tony Pulis, hoofing the ball into the box with Robert Huth. But my story isn't about the game; it's about after the game. So a lot of people, if you know Villa, and if you have been to the the Villa with Andy, you'll know about the Villa Social or the new Villa Social, I believe it's called nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. One of the appeals of going to Villa when we were younger was was going to, to have a, a pop or two. And uh, it was one of my first experiences in England. We went to the Villa Social and after a couple beers, I uh, was anointed a, a honorary bouncer for the night. And if anyone knows about England, they're very, very serious about these clubs. So, um, the bouncer gave me his armband. I've got multiple pictures of the event, and I just felt like I had a blast at the pitch. But you know, after I felt like one of uh, like one of the other Villa fans in the pub there. So that's probably my favorite part of the Yeah, story. I've always felt like getting into the Villa Social is like getting backstage into a concert. Like they they check very closely at the tickets, and you know, <laughs> they don't. You can't just not just anyone can get in there. So to be a bouncer, right. it's a pretty big deal. Right, yeah, backstage of a concert, and it's basically all, like, you know, uh, 50-year-old white men at this concert, uh, so, you know, uh, shaving, shaving, shaved, shaved, guys with shaved heads. Um, yeah, quite the that's, crowd. That's an unreal story. Yeah, quite the crowd. Um, well, I, I think one of the interesting things, outside of, um, you know, uh, Andrew and, and Nick being on the pod this week uh, to fill in for Chris, shout out Chris on the new house, um, that's what that's what he's busy doing. Um, one of the fascinating things about uh, Nick and Andrew is their performance in the fantasy Premier League. So we've talked a few times about the fan, uh, the fantasy Premier League um, that all uh, that is kind of become more and more part of our of our pod. Uh, whether it's and taking you guys to the fantasy corner, talking about players recommendations, or just talking about like you know how it's a really good way to kind of like get Americanized into the sport, right? Like I know for me, fantasy football is kind of the way I started get, getting really into the NFL and. Um, it's just a really it adds like another element to the game when you're watching different players trying to do well. Um, so Nick uh, and Andrew, can you guys can you tell our listeners tell us about a little bit about like what you guys do with Fantasy Premier League, what how, you know how seriously you take it, um, etc. Yeah, I'll take this one first. Andrew's take Andrew's taking the uh, the leading other one. So I think what is the lab about? I think what the lab boils down to is. There's two different things to look at FPL. You gotta understand what news sources and, and places you retain information, right? So I feel like anyone with a cell phone or a microphone can put out FPL content. So it's always good to have that sounding board. Someone else to talk to. He's talking about us. 
<laughs> exactly. So um, I, I think the big thing for me is that just having somebody to talk your transfers through, to, you know, to, to kind of egg you on or to kind of pull you back from the edge of the building of jumping off is, is always a good thing to have. So what the lab is, is it's, I'd say it's more of a sounding board to, to just talk through transfers and make sure we're making the right decisions together. That's my two cents. Andrew? And, 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 and sorry to cut you off, but the lab is a, um, the, for those who don't know, the lab is considered like the, is it a meeting place that you two physically go to to talk about Fantasy Premier League? Is it just more of a mental state, um, a relationship between you two? Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a state of mind. And it's, it's when you're, you're solely focused on, making your upcoming decisions for your fancy Premier League team. And, it, it, you know, the lab is, it's a name that Harmon and I use just to, like, we'll text each other just being, like, it'll be, like, a random Wednesday afternoon, and we'll just say, like, time to enter the lab. And it'll just mean, like, I'm essentially looking at tinkering with my fantasy lineup. Got it. Got it. And that is that, that is the state of being. Yeah, so... um uh, where do you guys currently stand in your fantasy Premier League uh, mini league in, in, in the table, um, that, the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League? Um, and where do you guys stand overall ranking-wise? Yeah, so look, I mean, it's it's very early days still in the season, I would say. Um, currently, I am I am first in the table, but I know that it's a long it's a long season, and I'm trying to take it just one one game week at a time. Um, as for my overall ranking, I don't know. I know mine's much worse than Harmon, who is below me in the table, so I'll let him take that from there. Yeah, uh, so I sit in third place right now. Um, overall rank is, is, is at about 7,000 in the world. I did just look up Andrews, and he's 866,000. Um, again, it's you can... You look at the NFL or any sport, and you can score a million goals, but you only got to win by one. So I think what it comes down to, and, and like Andrew said, it's early days. And just like you hear a lot of Premier League managers saying, like that Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, you know, we're in the most important part of the season now. They're coming thick and heavy, as I think what I told Andrew the other day in, in the lab. But, you know, we'll, there's a lot that's going to shake out, and you'll have a lot better picture of what's going to happen come, come January this is the most important time here in FPL. Um, but yeah, I think Andrew and I, it doesn't really matter where your game week, game, week, game week rank is. It's, it's do you score more than the other opponent? And it doesn't matter if you're the best or worst in the league as long as you score more. That is the nice thing about our league is that it's a head-to-head. Um, I, I think, and again, for context for listeners, uh, and we've covered this before, but the Ridgeway sort of fantasy Premier League period, uh, pyramid um, is more of just kind of like a, a block at this point. But we have the championship in the Premier League, um, about 40 players uh, playing in the Ridgeway fantasy Premier League leagues, the championship in the Prem. And we do relegation and promotion between those two leagues, right? So uh, 20 teams in the first league in the Premier League, and then 20 teams in the championship. And obviously, if you do well in the championship, you go up to the Prem. If you finish bottom three in the Prem, you go down to the championship. Um, so you guys are both top three in the Prem. Um, so obviously been very successful this year. As, as fantasy experts, um, do you guys have a best or worst story from you know meeting in the lab? Maybe you guys bounced some ideas off each other and it, and it really went south or it went north. Um, I'll let Nick answer that first. 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's ever been any bad or good decisions from the lab. I think it's more, Andrew's not going to do exactly what I tell him, and I'm not going to do exactly what Andrew tells him. It's more of a, a barometer or a, a test of, of where the decision's at. But ultimately, like anything in life, the, the buck stops with you and you make the decision. So I don't think I've ever been swayed by Andrew to make a bad transfer. And I, you know, I would talk more about what my worst transfer of the year has been, and mine has by far been Mason Mount, right? He went, Mason Mount had an absolutely incredible game a couple weeks ago. And not, I'm sure it wasn't just me in, in isolation, but there were a lot of FPL managers who brought him in, only for him to get dental surgery, get hit by a car, take the wrong two home. Again, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think Mount was definitely my worst pickup of the season. And that's just, it speaks a lot to, there are definitely good and bad things about following the herd. And I think you kind of just got to learn from your previous mistakes. I think I was talking to Andrew a little bit about James Madison. He goes on these runs where he's done pretty well recently, but every time I picked him up in FPL, he's done terrible. So there's that kind of preconceived notion for me, at least, that you know, follow your instincts, follow your gut. And when I was making that mount transfer, I was like, I was definitely thinking, hey, this is just a bit of a flash in the pan. He hasn't had a great season. He's had one good game week. The fixtures look good, which I'm very much fixtures over form. And I just fell into that honey trap and, and unfortunately got stuck. So my worst decision of the season has definitely been bringing in Mason Mount three or four game weeks after his big haul. Um, my best decision has definitely been Jamie Vardy. I mean, leave it at that. If you follow FPL, you saw early in the season after three or four game weeks, he really turned it on. You know, he had a couple blanks in a row, and I stuck with him. Um, and, I, and again, I think Jack is a big fan. I don't think he's ever said on the, on the pod before, but there's a joke that the law of big numbers. And I kind of equate that to, to a batting average in baseball, right? The good hitters in the MLB are going to get a hit. So for me, it was, like I said, fixtures over form. Vardy had a really tasty fixture, and you saw he was one of the most transferred out players last week. Just sticking by your guns, and, and you saw that he returned. It's I think Vardy's been one of my best pickups of the season, especially in a time where forwards come at a premium, and you know there, there aren't really a lot of great ones. So that's my best best and worst. Mount and Vardy have been my two two polarizing decisions this year. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I was, I was just going to say, we got a lot of strong analogies here from Nick. We got the buck stops here, the law of large numbers. And, I mean, Andrew, like, I mean, I feel like these are, like, from a theological FPL textbook that may be kind of tucked underneath a few flasks in the lab. Um, what about your best or worst lab story? Yeah, I mean, that's the benefit of having Nick as the sounding board and as my partner in the lab, co-partner. Um, for me, like, my my best, I would say, so far this season was a – it was a rags-to-riches story where, you know, I started with Ben Chilwell at the beginning of the season, and I think he, I want to say he didn't play for the first six weeks, and his value went from $6 million down to about $5.5 million. And I, you know, I, I stuck to my guns. I didn't overreact. I, I kept him through, through the dark times, and he ended up eventually breaking his way into that starting lineup at Chelsea and really... From there, basically made himself just the, the obvious pick through his through his play, creating goals, getting assists. He was on set pieces, and he his value went basically all the way back up to six million before the unfortunate injury that he picked up recently. Um, and obviously, I've sub- subsequently had to drop him. Um, but it, it was a real story of just success and sort of like Nick talked about, just sticking to your guns and sticking to your strategy, and you know knowing that things should work out if you if you have the right guys. 
Uh, my worst lab story is probably this last game week where I was playing Nick, and so the, the lab had to go completely dark, no communications. And I put up, I think, either the lowest or the second lowest points in the, in the league. And it, it was so devastating. I picked up Raul Jimenez, and I already had He Chan Huang, so I had two Wolves strikers, and they didn't score a goal against Leeds. So at that point, I, w I was really in a dark place, and as a result, I've I've since had to use my wild card, which I which I did for this current game week. So that's just a quick rundown of the best and worst so far season to date. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's interesting, right? The Chilwell story is kind of like a rags to riches back to rags story, and then, yeah, unfortunately, um, it does end in rags. <laughs> and then, um, but you're also sitting at, on top of the league, so you know who are we to you know who are we to laugh and scoff? Um, and then uh, just to round out our FPL segment here, just any any word word of advice to our FPL players out there, or anyone who's kind of like looking to get into fantasy prem, um, who listens to the pod and uh, you know trying to think of like how to play or kind of general advice for their teams. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I got a couple things here, and I think Andrew and I will probably think of a few. Of pieces of advice as we go through this piece but I would say like I mentioned before I'm a big believer in, in fixtures over form and I, I haven't used as many MLB analogies I have, as I have in my whole entire life but I like to think of it as you're a, you're a batter or a pitcher at Coors Field so it's Coors Field is known as a as, as, as what a, a a batter's ballpark right it's it's pretty pretty big and I'm sorry, it's pretty short, and you know you get the elevation. So I, I think you're looking at a player who's got who's playing in a ballpark that favors to them. So for instance, right, you're looking at this week. If Lukaku starts, he's going to play against Watford, who are one of the weaker teams in the bottom of the table. So you, you, you can't go for that for that player who's in good form, like I did with Mason Mount. You're going to go for the guy, like I said last week, with Vardy, who plays Watford and scores a couple of goals. So. For me, fixtures, fixtures of reform is a big thing. Uh, advice for the near term is having a very strong bench. So you always got to have guys who can come in, especially with the overloaded fixtures and COVID. You never know what can happen. So always having a good bench. So if you don't know a fantasy Premier League, you can start a variety of formations, but ultimately you're left with four players who don't play. Sometimes people like to keep players who don't play. For instance, like a Keenan Davis, who isn't who never really touches the starting lineup but is still you know flirts with the first team well a lot of times you can see what happens with the spurs game right spurs got snowed out last week so a lot of people had at least one or two spurs players so that's already taking a couple people so having a strong bench especially in this time period where there's a lot of fixtures and there are a lot of possibilities for players to get injured because of those additional fixtures is, is always is always a good place to go and then the last piece would be just what Andrew and I have kind of built here. The, the lab, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, just a group chat, uh, is it's good to have a sounding board. And I think would, the second thing would be finding reliable news sources and sticking to those news, news sources. So I listen to the Athletics FPL podcast. I, I think all of us almost at this point read uh, Ababaku Sadar's FPL posts each week. So I've got three or four news sources that I religiously follow, and I stick with that. I don't bounce back and forth. So for me, it's it's finding someone to talk to about it because it's, it's that's like any hobby in life, right? You need to find someone else who's passionate about what you do and and, and trust them. So 
buy some good quality news sources, have a good bench, and for me, fixtures over form are the three pieces of, of advice I give right off the bat. Yeah, I like that. And I, I like that you mentioned the the snowed out game last week. You, that's that's one I can't remember happening in in recent years. I know. I think we all know Sean Dyche would have would have wanted to play that out there in the couple inches of snow. That definitely would have played to Burnley's advantage. Um, for me, like advice, I would say to Nick's point, there's a ton of game weeks coming up. There always are around Boxing Day and New Year's. Um, so there's going to be a lot of rotation. So the strong bench is probably never going to be more important than it is right now. Um, and it's interesting, like talking about the fixtures. I when I since I used my wild card, I probably made 150 transfers in the past day and a half, and I got a pretty good sense of a lot of different teams' fixtures. And the teams that kept coming out with really good fixtures, it was like Liverpool and Man City. So like you, as sort of generic as it is, you do kind of want to focus on the Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea players because those three teams really are just head and shoulders above everyone else right now this season. Um, it's funny, I was looking at the table, only West Ham it is the only other team besides those three that has a positive goal differential right now. Um, so 16 out of 20 teams have a zero or negative goal difference. Um, um, and it just kind of shows like how much better those top teams are. Looking ahead like longer term, starting in January is going to be like the African Cup of Nations and there's going to be a lot of teams that are impacted by that. It's going to be interesting to see how people adjust from just captaining Salah every week to having to look at a lot of different options and trying to figure out what makes the most sense there. Um, so I don't know, maybe I don't have I don't have this, the same depth of baseball analogies that Nick does, but um, though that would be my advice is just like again it's similar to what he said but just trying to find players that are undervalued getting them like at the beginning of a hot streak and then looking at good fixtures and trying to build out your bench around this time of the year I would say are the biggest biggest things from the top from uh, from th- two of the top three in our fantasy Premier League um, I think we'll we'll take uh, we'll kind of close the curtains here on the lab, um, but that's good. I think that's good good intel for like anyone trying to get into FPL, right? Like a lot of fixtures over that over Boxing Day. Um, remember to set your lineup. Obviously, can't imagine not captaining Salah, um, and uh, and yeah, and like you know, law of averages, play like it's in Queer's Field, all those good things. Um, so I think z- z- zooming out of uh, of the of the lab and kind of shifting over to the Premier League as a whole. Um, we've talked a little bit about uh, on recent pods about or on the last pod about uh, some of the manager changes, right? We talked uh, about Dean Smith leaving Villa, obviously well documented that he joined Norwich. Um, Steven Gerrard joining Aston Villa. Uh, Claudio Ranieri has joined Watford. We talked, we discussed that as well as Eddie Howe in Newcastle, new Newcastle ownership. Um, probably the most, unfortunately, the largest, uh, the largest appointment or the one that's definitely been in the headlines the most. Has been the recent appointment as interim manager for Ralph Rognick um, at Manchester United. Um, so for a little bit of backstory on, on Ralph Rognick, very famous for having 
um, built up both the Red Bull franchises, both in Salzburg and Leipzig, as well as Hoffenheim. Um, very successful in German football, uh, mentor to very famous German managers like Thomas Zuckel, Jurgen Klopp, who are currently managing two of those top three teams that Andrew just mentioned that are definitely in that top three. They're all that are the three title favorites right now. Um, and he's a very well-known. He's also known to have mentored Ralf Hasenhutl as another Premier League manager, as well as a host of other um, uh, managers in the Bundesliga. Um, so I guess quickly, guys, when you think about this appointment for Manchester United and just like how shocking they've been this season and how far behind they've been behind that really, really strong top three. I mean, do you think this is a good move for United? Where do you kind of see this going? Uh, what kind of lift, if any, do you think it'll have? What, what, what impact do you think it's going to have on Manchester United? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think he brings in, obviously, it's... I'm, I didn't even really know who he was a week ago. So to pretend like I'm an expert, would it's, it's just not the case, really. But obviously just looking at like his background and like his coaching tree and the clubs that he's worked at, you see like the success he's had with like with the likes of like RB Leipzig. Um, but th that's like such a different scenario where like he can build like through the youth system and like through the academy and like build up over time, whereas he comes into arguably the biggest or top two or three biggest clubs in the world and has to deal with a lot of players that you know, have big egos and have um, a lot of baggage and they all expect to be playing and starting. And it was interesting to see that Ronaldo was benched starting against Chelsea last week, which is like, how can you bench like their guy, who their leading goal scorer for the season in probably their biggest game of the season? But it, it'll be interesting to see how he tries to like humble players or get them on their side and whether or not that backfires would be my opinion on him. Do you think it's replicable, Andrew, to, to take sort of like, you, you, I mean, you touched on like, obviously, like, I mean, confessing as well, I, I had, it's not like he was on my like short list or I think anyone's short list of like, yeah, Manchester United are going to go, everyone's thinking of traditional managers and obviously he's been kind of in the back, in the background of a lot of clubs. Do you think the success he's had at some of those clubs like from the ground up foundationally, do you think it can be replicated in a already what is a massive foundation, right? It's almost like instead of building a house from scratch, you're kind of moving into a mansion and then trying to like renovate it to make it modern. Like, do, do you I think mean, that's possible? Not in a short amount of time, but they have a really good squad, I think. And I'm sure that they have a really, I know they have a really strong academy. So I, I think that there's, there's definitely enough talent there, but there's certainly a lot of issues. And, and I don't know, I don't know how much time they'll give them. Right. Nick, how about you? What do you think? you think the overall impact is going to have on Manchester United? Yeah, I think, echo everything else was said, right? I don't think 90, 90 to 95% of the population, or even, even in the football community, knew who he was, at least from a Premier League perspective, right? He's very Bundesliga-focused. Obviously, a lot of people talk about his, his tactics and the gig and press piece, but I think United's biggest problem over the past few years has just been having those those authority figures, right? You think back to Sir Alice Ferguson, he had a, you know, just him in general is just a figure where he, he says jump and the players say how high, and, and not even just him, but even in the, in the dressing room, you look into some of those polarizing figures they had in the United dressing room at that time, it's just, they're, I, I, again, I hate this, this is very much a commentator term, but there isn't a lot of accountability, right? You see some really stupid mistakes, 
you see just dumb things happening in that club where it's a club of that standard shouldn't be operating there. So hopefully, hopefully they get some motivation from some bounce and fixtures. And I think to my point before, they've got some tasty fixtures coming up from an FPL perspective. They've got a good run of games going. So part of me likes to think that the management team and the board there were, were thinking, hey, if we let go of Ole, we need to make sure that this managerial bounce is a big one. And hopefully that massive momentum can keep us going for the rest of the season and help us help us retain a, a good league finish. So part of me thinks, and I think we talked about this before in, in, in other group chats, but um, interim managers, I think, are dumb, right? You need to give someone time to plan and execute that plan. And, and we see people talk about that, right? Conte at Spurs has said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to build, a, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I'm not going to build it either. And I think... You know, you're going to get a bounce, and I think they picked the right time to try and bounce, right? They're bouncing a bouncy ball off of concrete versus gelatin. So, so it, I think that ultimately, I think they set them up for success, and, and we'll see how well they re- hit, you know, the players react. And I think the last point I would make, Jack, sorry to cut you off, but gang impress, right? I heard an interesting point. Right? I, I think I saw a stat around the number of pressures forwards have had in the league, um, and Ronaldo was dead last. So the question is, is Ronaldo doesn't necessarily fit – you know, fit his style. How does he handle Ronaldo, who's an absolute superstar? I think the answer is I don't think you'll see him bench. I think he'll work around him. I think that's what good managers do. So overall, my my summary is I think I think he'll do well. They brought him in at a good time of the season, and he'll be able to build a lot of momentum. And you know, a lot of a lot of football is just having good spirit in the dressing room, right? The best, the worst team in the league can be the best team in the league if they're in good spirits. So. Yeah, you got to wonder if if Cristiano made the wrong move. Like, if he would have joined Manchester City, right? Like, would he be dealt with this whole like, can Cristiano handle the press analogy? Like, you bet, you bet. Like, if he was at Manchester City, Pep would have him playing like a false nine with effective pressing. But um, I, I, I think, I mean, looking at looking at the appointment, do you see it more? And this is kind of both for both of you guys. Do you guys see it more as a hey, it's an interim appointment for six months. So, so the details of the contract is he, he's interim manager for six months and then has a two-year consultancy period, right? Now, that's very vague. Um, so you know, to what degree will he be a consultant? Is he in-house? Is he out-of-house? Like, um, is he, you know, does he, ha- does he actually have a say? I mean, consultant is a very loose term, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm going to consult you know, I'm going to consult you, Andrew, before I drink this beer, but like, you know, regardless of what you say, I'm going to do it. I'm, you know, I'm going to drink it. Right. So, um, it, it's a very interesting sort of, yeah, it is, it is vague there. and it's not really something that you hear about very often. Like, especially for like a big, big name club, it seems like they're right. kind of so, like, they're giving into like this guy's demands and maybe it is a show that they are looking at like the bigger, longer term picture, but so do, it's do, you, do you see it more as like a six a six month interim appointment where Manchester United is basically saying it's a six month feel out period and we'll give you a consultancy role like aka you'll jump on a Zoom once a month for the next two years and we'd like to have you around like more than six months but like basically do you think it's more of a it's you think it's more of a low risk Man- Manchester United appointment or Manchester United appointment with like. Like them keeping him at arm's length and saying like, you know, uh, or do you think it's more of a low risk on 
Ralph Ragnitz's uh, point of view, where it's like, oh, he actually only has to be manager for six months, and then he can, um, so he's only responsible really for six months of fixtures, so he's not going to get run out of town for, you know, in, in a year. He's not, the thing that, what happened to Ole is not going to happen to him, because he's going to be only in the seat for six months and then be able to distance himself, but maintain a revenue source and a, and a power, position of power within the club. Like, who do you th- see as, like, you know, do you, do you see this deal more in favor of United or in favor of Ralph? Like, I, I'm curious, because I feel like you can see it, the, the term consultant can kind of flip it each way, you know? Yeah, I think it's early to say, and it depends how they how they come out and, and do. I think if United do terribly for the rest of the season, how long of a leash will he really have? Like, And if he were to leave at the end of six months and just take on a consultancy, I don't know if I'd want to take on that managerial seat knowing that they have this this other guy kind of in this yeah, other role that is he is Great he my point. boss or or what so I, I don't know I, I I feel like it's just it is a feeling out period but ultimately I think he'll end up being being their guy unless the rest of the season goes terribly yeah I, what I would say and I'll take the the opposite stance um, to a certain extent I would say that there, there was a book I was given on my first day of my first full-time job from the CEO at the bank I work at. It's called Good to Great. And one of the main pillars of that book is that you get the right people on the bus, and no matter how good they are, what their skill set skill sets are, you can find a seat for them. So someone may be good at operations, and but they're in the banking area. So getting the right people on the bus is where I come from. You know. It's, I never heard about Ralph Ragnick like we talked about before, but the second he was brought up, you thought you know, the world was going to blow up. Everyone was so excited. You know, he's he helped form Klopp and Tuchel and all these very influential managers. I think, you know, we, we don't talk, we haven't talked about football manager at all, but I think all of us after a couple seasons are trying to just sign all of the best coaches in the whole entire world. So I come from the opinion that I don't really know what's going to happen in six months. I think it's just a matter of getting the right people on the bus. And I think that he's one of the, the more influential minds, right? And I think if he does great in the managerial role, he can get them Champions League. That's just a bonus. I think the big thing is you've got him in the club now. So you can you can bank on that wealth of knowledge. And as you've seen in his previous, uh, you know, Red Bull Leipzig, a couple of the other clubs he's worked at, Hoffenheim, he's helped build those clubs. So I think it's more of a move from United to, hey, he's got some experience managerially. We'll see how it works out. You know, great. It's fine. If not, we can kind of fall back on, hey, he was an interim manager, he wasn't implementing his full-time ideas, but I think, or I'll jump to the other side and, and contradict myself, to Andrew's point, if the next manager, which I have no idea who it'll be, if they've got a completely different, you know, tactical approach, it's kind of useless to bring him on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you bring in Sean Deitch, you know, he's obviously not a Gengen Press guy, he's, you know, who fit long, one of those one of those managers, so I think it's more a move of, let's get, you know, the best talent in the world at the club. And you bring all these diverse minds together, and we can hopefully get to the best solution. Yeah. Do you have, like, an MLB coach in mind to compare him to? Like, who is he most like? <laughs> <that you'd... laughs> I've exhausted all of my MLB references today. Um, I couldn't yeah. even name three MLB managers. <laughs> yeah, well, get, get, the, get the right people on the bus. Uh, I think it's a good point. And I think it, it's just that classic kind of, like, big business, like, he's you know, a, he's a Jim Leland business character. problem. <laughs> it's. It, I feel like it's a big business problem where um, you know he. So he kind of reminds me. It could go one of two ways, right? He can either 
totally invest himself and, and help Manchester United reinvent their long-term identity as a gig and pressing, high energy. You know, that can that can go through their first team squad, their academy. They can become this very sexy, young, dominant, attractive brand of football and beat the Liverpools and Chelsea's and cities at their own game. Or, you know, um, and or it kind of reminds me of a lot of the signings that they've had at the player level over the last five years, right? As Zlatan Ibrahimovic and pay him a fortune. Alexis Sanchez, let's pay him 500,000 pounds a week. Cristiano Ronaldo, like a lot of these players of yesteryear who have already made their career somewhere else. But let's kind of bring them in and hope that they're going to bring in their former twinkle and former greatness to like, you know, help uplift Manchester United because they, they are on such a pedestal. And um, yeah, I agree. And Andrew, circling back to what you said earlier, I think they, they've made, I think it was both of you guys have said this, but they've made a lot of really poor business decisions, um, both financially. Um, and, and I think, um, Nick, you were talking about accountability. I think it's shocking um, that the, the infrastructurally at this point, uh, since Alice Ferguson's gone, that, that infrastructurally they don't have a director of football and they, have, they haven't made some of these changes. I think it's, it's really, really poor. Um, but I digress. Uh, moving on to just overall kind of pivoting back to what we talked about with the, the new manager hires. Um, throwing it to you guys. Curious, out of the new manager hires, um, anything that you've seen so far from Ranieri, Howe, Smith, Gerrard, um, at the four clubs that they've been hired by that makes you feel like they'll be the most successful? Anything that makes any one of these managers that you feel like is just going to be absolutely miserable and out of a job by the end of the season? Um, just anything kind of stark standing out amongst these four four managers? Um, for me, I would say, and the best, I, I want to say Gerard will be the most successful, but I could see Dean Smith doing a decent job at Norwich. Um, I did, Chris did ask me the question last week. He was like, who, who do you think will be the next manager sacked? And I had maybe a, a spicy take that I said, Eddie Howe. Um, I think his, <laughs> his start in Newcastle has been disastrous in terms of right, right away he had COVID, so he couldn't manage like the first game or two uh, in charge. I don't think they've gotten a point since he was hired. I could be wrong on that. They did get a point today. They get a point today. Oh, they got a point today. Yep. So mm -hmm. I just didn't update my models, but he got a point today. Um, and I could see his seat getting really hot. I think there's a, there's expectations that they're going to invest money in January. And I think it's going to be really difficult to attract top talent when they're in 19th place. Um, and... It, if he can't get thing get the the wheels back on back on the track in in the near future, I think he could be gone by February. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a hot take for sure. But it doesn't seem. I mean, we we just haven't seen any sort of. There's no historic. There's no precedent for how these new owners are treating managers, right? Like, and you you have to imagine with the amount of investment that they're promising that it, it's not going to be a long leash. Um, Nick, how about you in terms of uh, most successful or um, and or poorest new manager hires? Jack, I don't want to call you out, but I'm going to call you out. I don't know if that's necessarily a hot take. Andrew just alluded to Newcastle are dead bottom. You can't get any lower, and they're in the worst form of their of their season. So um, I think that it's it's a very concise point from Andrew. But they just hired him, so I mean, <laughs> are they going to let him go? <laughs> sure. Yeah, and, and I think that's the point. I think part of the, and again, we weren't in the discussion with the board, but I would kind of take what happens between now and January with a grain of salt. I'm sure Howe got assurances that, hey, I'll be able to bring in some guys in January, and that's what will truly hit the road running. 
So I think you'll see if they have a have a, a big January window and they just absolutely stall out of the gates coming out of there. Yeah, I think he might be gone. I think you see that in a lot of you know the bigger clubs that they're quicker to move on from managers if they aren't doing well until they're settled. So um, you know, not trying to make you look bad, Jack, but last place, not good form, not always the the hottest take. But okay, as far as my takes on the managers, I would say that. Um, who I think will do the best, I'd like to say Gerard. And again, I'm kind of copying Andrew here, but I think ultimately, if you look at the squads that these guys have been handled, Gerard's got the best, you know, the best Lego pieces. He's going to be able to build the best tower. And he's got the most versatility to do so. So, and I, and I reason why I like Gerard as well is is that. When you look at his managerial style and the way he works with his staff, so from what I've read, he's more of a man manager. He, he gives some of those, you know, main tactical decisions to his, some of his staff. I don't know the name of his his main tactician, but I think when you look back to what he did at Rangers, he wasn't afraid to change tactics and change tactics quicker. Which I think Chris made a really good point in a previous pod. I think Dino was just kind of stuck in his ways, and once he did need to make a change, he just it was rapid fire and nothing really stuck. So I think. Like we even talked about in FBL, you need to have some conviction and make changes earlier, and Gerard's got the most toys and, and, and Lego pieces to play with, whereas you look at the squads that you know, Watford, Newcastle, Norwich have, they're all just kind of, you know, their championship quality for the most part. I mean, you could say that Newcastle has some good players, Watford has some players here and there, but I think we'll get to the predictor app. Watford have injuries, you know, and and that, that's going to come back to hurt him. And you look at Newcastle, and no one's really standing out. And even Dean Smith, I think we've seen a little bit of a turnaround, but just there's not the quality in those teams that you see in Villa. So, you know, you see the first two results for Gerard, they've been really good, and he's got a lot to work with at Villa, and he's got, you know, the third or fourth richest owners. So we may even see another January window, even though we spent a lot of money. I think that Gerard will see the most success. Yeah, I think um, it's, a, it's Gary McAllister, by the way, is his assistant, um, very famous assistant. Um, and I agree with you. Like, looking at, it seems like an easy pick out of the four, uh, including Ralph. I mean, you could throw Ralph Rogdon into that mix because Ralph Rogdon's squad to play with, you know, if you were going to make it a five, um, is really strong as well. But I do think out of Ranieri, Howe, Smith, and, and Gerard, obviously, Stevie G's, you feel like his roster has the biggest upside right um i'd also give claudio ranieri a shot there i feel like since he's come into watford i know they haven't been getting a bunch of brilliant results but i mean they're they're they they beat manchester united um handily and um they're scoring goals yeah um, and that's something that they've they looked good they could definitely night. stay up much, yeah exactly much better exactly. chance than uh, norwich and newcastle Exactly. And so I think, you know, if he manages to keep Watford up, which, I mean, Watford have been just yo-yoing over the last decade, um, I think that's a tremendous achievement. Um, and if he manages to get more than six months on that job, it's a tremendous achievement as well. But I don't know if he's like, um, if he's going to be there point, more than like a point. year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the one point I'd like to nail home for Andrew that I, I thought he touched on in a, a tweet I saw on Twitter the other day is Newcastle's recruiting strategy. I think it might have been Gabby Agbalmahor who said, what, which, if you were a player right now and you got offered 60k to go play at Newcastle versus 40k at a Brentford, would you? Which one would you choose? Who wants to go live in Newcastle when you could go live in London? So you look at the location. You know, money isn't everything, right? So I, 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 I wanted to to give Andrew some credit on his point on 
the recruiting strategy might not be great. If you're dead last, you're in the middle of nowhere, you you know, money isn't everything. So I wanted to add that last piece to what Andrew took. Appreciate there that. There you go. Money's not everything. Yeah, mo- yeah money- <laughs> money's not everything. Um, coming from the man who tells you how to manage your FPL budget. Um, moving on, uh, we're going to wrap up with our predictor picks, um, as always. So we've got three takes on our NBC predictor app picks uh, this week instead of just Chris and I. And we all know Chris has won money. It's been well documented. Um, so we're going to rip through our five games, um, and then we can throw out who you like and what results you got. Um, so we'll start with Watford versus Chelsea. Uh, Andrew, who you got? Yeah, uh, you know, we were just talking about Ranieri. He's done a really good job since taking over Watford. He's uh, beat United, had a couple good results. I think Chelsea win this one 5-0. Um, <laughs> I, I think they get put back in their place. And uh, end of story. End of story. Nick? Yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm going to go with the bookies' favorites as well. I'm going to go Chelsea 3-0 for a couple of reasons. Um, like I alluded to before, they've got some injuries. Saar is injured, who I know is, is a really good player for them. And Emmanuel Dennis, who has been quite a, a fiend, is, is also a doubt. So, and I also, you know, Lukaku is back from injury, and I think he'll be really hungry to get some goals. And, and there's nothing more tasty than a, than a, than a Watford ham. So <laughs> we'll see what, what happens there. We got we got Watford hams. We got Lego bricks. You got the best Legos. You're building the highest <laughs> tower. There's been some absolutely wild shit analogies you made on this pod. I, I love it. Um, I, I'm gonna go uh, echoing you know the sentiment we've got here. I'm gonna go Chelsea Watford four uh, one done and dusted. I think Watford sneak out a goal just because you know some laps at the back penalties something like that corner goal whatever four one. Um, jumping on to our next uh, fixture, we got Aston Villa versus Manchester City. So another one of those big three teams, the second of the three, uh, Man City against uh, Villa. And Nick, who you got? Yeah, this is the this the second the second biggest bookie favorite this week that they have Man City going. I think it's it's a bit of a no brainer. I've got three 0 City, and I think you know we just talked about how much I love Gerard and how I think he'll be the best manager. But what what goes up must come down. I think this is the the first blip in, in Gerard's tenure as Villa manager. Just City are too good, and you, and you see the depth there without some of their best assets and not even replacing Aguero. They're still incredible. So I think Villa have a bit of a, uh, a bit of a, of a shock here and take a loss. I don't. I don't know if it, I don't know if it'd be a shock, but uh, I I think Stevie G. I think he can keep it going. Um, I'll take two one a late winner for Villa. Perhaps, uh, perhaps McGinn, perhaps, you know, Jacob Ramsey, um, someone like that, just out of the woodwork, probably a midfielder, just a late winner, I think, 3-0 and for, uh, since, since the new managerial appointment. That is absolutely mental. That is, uh, our listeners are going to enjoy that one. Um, unfortunately, in, you know, I usually am full of my homer picks. I'm going to go um, Aston Villa nil, Manchester City one. Um, I do think Steven Gerrard has this group defending just heart and soul, and I think he's going to be really frustrated with that um, late goal they conceded to Crystal Palace from Mark Gahey. Um, and so I think, you know, and I think he, this Manchester City team, they're going to watch a lot of film. Um, I know there's a very short time between games, but uh, he's, he's definitely going to have a method um, – to play against bigger teams, and he's going to try and, and roll that out. And I think he's just got everybody defending as a, as a unit. And so I think they're going to be tough to break down, but I think City find a way through and win 1-0. Um, 
And then we go to uh, another massive, well, what some people think is a massive game for me, but uh, again, a derby for me that I can't really be bothered with. Um, but we've got Everton versus Liverpool. Um, Andrew, who do you got? Yeah, there's definitely been some drama in the past few seasons, I think, around this derby. But uh, again, I think Liverpool are just too good. Everton have not looked very good. I think Benitez could very well get sacked if this game doesn't go too well. I'll go 2-0 Liverpool. Nick? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I have the same scoreline here, but for for matter of difference, I will go, I'll go four nil Liverpool. I think that the derbies are always a wild card, and I think that Everton, to your point, are still missing a lot of key players, DCL included. He's still not going to be back for this game. Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um, on top of that, Benitez has has one win from his last ten. I think. Um, a side note here that I saw in the press conferences from today just has nothing to do with my prediction, but I found it kind of funny the way that Klopp phrased his current comments on Bobby Firmino. He said that Bobby needs probably another week to do more football stuff, was the exact quote. So I think, same thing I said with City, Liverpool just have so much depth and they're in such better form than Everton, and, and Everton are just in such a bad place. It's going to be a pretty big shellacking. I think I said what, 4 now. Yeah, I'm going to go right in the middle of you two and say 3 0. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Benitez could be in trouble as his squad is currently paying rent in uh, in Injury Plaza um, with all the injuries they got going on. So uh, I got 3 0 right in the middle of you two. Um, and then uh, last two fixtures here we've got uh, Spurs versus Brentford, Yid Army versus the Bees. Um, Andrew, who do you got? Um, I keep thinking Spurs will turn it on, so I'm gonna I'll pick them this week. I'll say two one Spurs, even though the bees have been pretty good this season. Nikolai. Yeah. So so I'll go. I, I was reading an article on, on Upper Ninety the earlier, and because I don't I don't want to steal their thunder, but they, they they claim this as the next installment of quote unquote are Tottenham actually any good? So <laughs> I think that they're still finding their feet. And they saw that terrible loss to that no-name club. What is it, Mura, in yeah. the Europa League? So I still have faith. I think Conte is an incredible manager in class is class. So I have one nil Tottenham. I think they're still figuring out what's going on up front with Kane and a few other things, and they're pretty solid defensively. So one nil on mine. Yeah, I think you know. I think thanks for that. Just bring you on the pod, and then ensuing lawsuit from you know whole ninety is coming now. Thanks for that. Um, but uh, I have. Spurs one, Brentford two. Um, I have bees um, actually eking this one out. I do think it's going to be an interesting tactical matchup because they're both going to play that uh, three center back, you know, wing back formation that seems to be the sexy move that everyone in the league is doing um, outside yeah. of City and City and Liverpool. They're like, well, the it works for Chelsea, so it'll work for us, but. Right, and the four-three-three is is becoming a little bit less popular, and and it seems like the uh, that that wing back system is the way to defeat the the four-three-three at least um, systematically in terms of closing down the wide spaces. Um, and I think Brentford, quite frankly, has been playing that system for longer as a squad um, with Thomas Frank. So um, I actually think they win this one two-one. I look to Ivan Tony to get maybe one, if not two goals. Um, and it's going to be a gritty, gritty game. But Brentford have, have had some crazy games against some of the big teams, and I think they're, they're going to pull this one out. Um, and then lastly, uh, we've got Manchester United versus Arsenal. Um, not quite um, Ralph Ragnick's first game yet. Um, it is still Michael Carrick who's in charge. Um, he gave a very sort of coy, um, interesting, odd, just very just 
you could tell, inexperienced press conference um, before his last Premier League game um, against Chelsea. Manchester United versus Arsenal. Uh, Nick, who you got? Yeah, I, I originally had this one as a 1-0 United win, but the more I thought about it, with Ragnick not in charge, and, and you look the way they, they, they set up United against Chelsea, where Carrick had them a lot more defensive with McTominay and... and, um, and Matic and Fred, Matic. yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? So they just were a lot more defensive, so I don't know if there'll be a lot of goals here, but Arsenal are in really good form, right? So for me, it's... it's United look, still look a bit toothless, which is incredible, right, given how incredible their attacking assets are. I, I've got, I think this has a draw written all over it. Yeah, they just don't know what their best 11 is, and I don't think they're going to figure it out this weekend. Uh, I've been a seller of Arsenal all season, so I'm just going to say nil-nil. Uh, this one, this will probably be famous last words, but I'm just going to say, you know, it, it'll be highlighted as a big match, but you could probably skip this one. It'll be 3-2 no. Yeah, exactly I don't think it's going to be the exciting viewing That everyone wants I think that's what Carrick's obviously tried to do right off the bat Is just stabilize their, the fact that they were bleeding goals um, And you can always build a strong attack from a good defense um, I, Yeah, I'm going to go um, Manchester United nil, Arsenal 1 um, So I think you know Arsenal have some momentum um, I think what they miss Is consistent goal production from the striker position. Um, I think they're getting goals from, you know, Smith Rowe, Bakayo Saka, uh, Martin Odegaard scored a free kick here or there. Um, they're getting goals from midfield and, you know, Nuno Tavares looks like he's going to shoot on site whenever he's on the pitch. So, um, shout out last game. Uh, and so I think Arsenal find a way to get one, maybe from midfielder or set piece, maybe a Gabriel header, but um, I go one nil to them. Um, and then, as always, guys, uh, join uh, guys and gals who are listening. Join our Embassy Predictor app. Um, f- shoot your picks in. Uh, we are we are in a, a Ridgeway Predictor league. The code to join is S9YQB6 um, to join that league. Um, and then that way you can get your picks in and, and see how you can climb against some of these FPL lab whizzes who've been on the pod today. Um, Nick, Andrew, any last words before we get out of here? No. Th- yeah. So. Oh. Yes, the last, the last word I would say, and it did, it's probably going to be out of left field for you guys, but all of the games are on Prime Video tomorrow. So if you've got an Amazon Prime membership, you've got yourself some, some, some Premier League viewing content. So That's a good tip. Are they, not also, are they not also on Peacock or, or NBC? Nope, I think they're just on Prime from what I saw. So if you're listening to the pod, and, and, you know, first thing tomorrow morning, <laughs> wow. make sure your Amazon Prime account's fired up. Well, I'm glad you said that because I, I had no idea. Um, so that is a good <laughs> Neither Wait, neither did I. That's absolutely insane. So uh, every game just fully is just on a different channel than every other game has been this season. But how does that yeah. how, how does that deal work with Amazon? Like, there's like, oh, I want the December first games or what? I think it's kind of like how Twitter how Twitter took some NFL Thursday night games. I think they're 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 sticking they just, their toes yeah, in the water. They throw them a bone if it's worth a bid in four years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I, I just want to say I appreciate it, Ridge. Thanks for having us um, as a longtime listener. I'm happy to be here and you know learned a few things, had had some fun. So yeah, it's been a good time. Yeah, you you previously came on as our as our Wall Street correspondent, Andrew. So it's good to see a different side of you this this uh, this time on the pod. Yeah, you know it's a little bit more business casual this time. 
<laughs> you got the loafers on. Yeah. Well, um, Nick, Nick, Andrew, thanks for joining. Obviously, um, we appreciate your takes and, and you know, try and minimize the, the time in the lab spent um, since that's definitely hurting the fantasy Premier League that we're in. Um, but as always, listeners, feel free to tune in. Hit us on Twitter. Um, appreciate you guys listening. Um, just goes to show everybody's human. Thanks, guys.